there's um, certainly pre- pressure as a believer to, uh, man, am I doing this thing right? Do I, do I have it down? Am I trying to do this in my own strength or Jesus? Am I just relying on you? There's pressure everywhere we look. We have stress that is coming down upon us all the time. If that wasn't enough, we have notifications that are going off on our phones all the time. If that wasn't enough, we have task lists, we have inbox numbers, we have things that are just towering up in our lives, and the pressure is constant, and the pressure just keeps building until we feel like we are absolutely going to break. Uh, I don't know who sang it, but I heard in a song one time, Pressure Makes Diamonds. And uh, pressure does make diamonds, but pressure also, if it doesn't make a diamond, will just break the coal that it tries to make a diamond out of. And so this morning, my goal for us is to, in the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit within us, that we would lean into his strength and not our own, and that when we are under pressure, that through him, through Jesus, we would pressure-proof our lives. So I'm going to just go through a list of things, and if you feel like you are pressured from those things, you just say amen with me. Your spouse needs something. See, you shouldn't have said that, okay? Unless they're not sitting next to you, then amen. My wife's in service today. We're good. No pressure. Your kids need something. Amen, amen. And the kids are in service today, too, and we don't care. We're going to say it anyway, loud and clear. Your friends need something. Okay, you got pretty much good friends, all right? Your boss needs something. That's pretty morose. Amen. Yeah, again. Your coworkers need something. Uh, taxes need something. <laughs> We're just confused at this point. All right. How about this one? Not something I think we think about a lot. Your notification needs something. Your social media feed needs something. All right. Just pretty much 55 and up on that one, maybe. I'm not sure. Your hobbies. Your passions, your desires need something. Amen. (laughs) Those video games are getting tough over there. I'm with you. I want us to realize this morning that we are not the first to undergo pressure. Today we are back in the gospel of Mark. We are in the life and the ministry of Jesus, and we will see that he goes through a certain kind of pressure and that he is pressured by three certain kinds of people. So this morning, I want us to identify those types of people in our lives. I want us to identify whether or not we are one of those people, but more than anything, as believers that are going to go out and live this out within our community, I want us to pressure-proof our lives. I want us to rely on Jesus. So let's go. Let's hit it hard this morning. In a life of ministry, in a life that is on the move with God, pressure comes from people that want something from you. It comes from people that want something from you. We see that in the life of Jesus in verses 7 through 12 of chapter 3. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. That means means he went to get away. And a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because the crowd Because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around on him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him, and they cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. So what is happening? What is taking place here? We see 
that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that, as we learned last week as Jacob preached on, Jesus had a contract out on his head. There was a bounty out for his lives from the religious leaders that were out to get him, that were opposing him. Dog the bounty hunter is out to get Jesus in this very moment. And do people care? No, because Dog the bounty hunter is not relevant anymore. Nobody watches that. No, the people don't care. The people want to be healed. The people want demons cast out of them. And we see that there are different types of people that are coming to Jesus. And this is something that I think we have uh, the ability to miss within Scripture. If we don't know these different regions, we don't know the people that are coming to Jesus from these regions. There's so many regions that are discussed here. And in some of these regions, it's mainly Jewish people. These would be the people that Jesus was used to gathering around him. Then there were some regions that are a mix. Some of them are Jewish people and some of them are Gentile people. And then some of these regions are mainly Gentile people. Now, when you're reading over this, just just seems like a list of places that are, have names that are hard to say. And it seems pretty seemingly insignificant. But what Jesus is doing here is something we'll actually dive further into next week in Acts chapter 10. And he is painting a picture that the kingdom of heaven isn't just for the Jewish people. The kingdom of heaven is now for the Gentiles. That is people like you, people like me. The kingdom of heaven is diverse. The kingdom of heaven is open. It is now not just God's people, but Jesus is making a way for all people to be God's people. One community saved by grace through faith in Jesus. What else do we see about these people? We see that these people impose upon Jesus. We see that in verses 7 through 10. Jesus has withdrawn. He is trying to get away. He is retreating from the crowds. He is trying to refill, to refresh, to get with the Father, to get with his disciples, trying to restore, to get poured into before he pours out even more into other people within his ministry. And what happens? The same thing that always happens. This is like Team Z, man. These people are like paparazzi, and they're finding Jesus wherever he goes. And wherever he goes, they flock to him in crowds. These people did not give Jesus any space at all. They were all up in his grill. They wanted every bit of Jesus. And these weren't necessarily people that you and I would have wanted to be that close to us. Who does it say was close to Jesus? The people with diseases. Probably lepers. Probably people that weren't allowed within society. Not only that, but demon-possessed people. All of a sudden, this gets a little uncomfortable for us, but for Jesus, not only did he accept it, but he allowed them to get close, and he had a backup plan. I think there is a, an idea of personal space that we kind of uh, leave out of the picture of Jesus, too. We think, oh, this is the Son of God, fully God and fully man. He, I'm sure he didn't have any personal space issues, but man, culturally, everybody has personal space issues. This would have been people imposing on Jesus. So I did a little research this week. I wanted to go out into the world, and so I didn't jump on an airplane. I jumped on Google, and I did a little research on personal space. If you're an extrovert in this room, um, just, just hold your horses, all right? We're, we're going to get to a land of people that want to be close to each other, that want to hug each other and high-five each other and, and just have really close, awkward relationships. But for the uh, introverts in the room, raise your hand. If you actually raise your hand, I'm not sure you're really an introvert, okay? <laughs> so we'll put those back down. There is a land that is a land for you, and it is called Romania. 
Now, if you look at this graph right here, a stranger in Romania, it is not okay for them to get within 4.6 feet of you on average. That's pretty wild, 4.6 feet. That's probably the distance between me and my daughter here. That is quite a distance. Me and a stranger were talking to each other, and it's like permanent social distancing here. Personal acquaintance, they can get a little bit closer, but still pretty far out. They can get 3.1 feet away from you, but this is where Romania is different than any other country in the world, and that is if you're in a close relationship with somebody in Romania, you go from the outskirts of town to in their living room. You're just right there with them 1.6 feet away from them. So where do we stack up? Where do we stack up when it comes to personal space? We got the United States of America here. We're a little bit better. 3.1 feet is the distance that we are okay between us and strangers. I would say that depends on who you are. If you break that, shame on you. Don't do that, okay? If you spit on people when, when you talk, don't. That's too close. Spit drops at three feet. We'll be all right. Personal acquaintance, a little bit closer. Not much. We got 2.3 feet. But then we go full Romania, close relationships. Hey, bring it in. Put your arm around them. We are close to other people. But then, then we have a land for the people that are extremely, extremely extroverted land for the people that just want to be close to everybody, and it probably doesn't surprise you, Argentina. Argentina is the place where Jesus could have given this sermon and people would have been like on his back and he would have given piggybacks as he preached. Uh, if you're just a total stranger, I've never seen you in your life, you're basically in hugging distance at 2.5 feet severely uncomfortable. If you are a, a personal acquaintance, then that's two feet. And then the closest of all four close personal relationships, that is 1.3 feet in Argentina. If, uh, if you are comfortable with a personal stranger being within three feet of you, raise your hands. Okay. All right. That's, that's way more than I thought. There is a personal space issue that is taking place here. Jesus, in his forethought, knowing, hey, this has been the theme. This has been what people have been doing every single place I go, gets really, really creative. He gets a boat, and he says, guys, get this boat ready for me so that when these people crowd up on me, I'm going to get out on this boat, and I'm going to go into the water. Now, I don't know. Maybe these people couldn't swim. Why wouldn't they go to Jesus when he's out on the water? But there's also something that we can miss here within reading the scripture, and that is when Jesus is on this boat and there are all these people out in front of him, the water in which he would have spoken over would have acted as acoustics. And so it would have gone out to all these people and they would have heard him better than ever before. Well, I have a question for us. I have a question for us that relates directly with these people and how they were treating Jesus, and that is how do we treat Jesus? Do we go to Jesus as a cosmic vending machine, a vending machine in the clouds that we can go up to, and I just want your miracles, Jesus. I just want this from you. I want that from you. I just want you to cast out the demons in my life. I just want you to make things better, and as soon as you make things better, I'm going to go on my way, and you won't hear from me ever again. Do we keep Jesus out in our lives like we are in Romania, and he is a stranger? Jesus, you're, you're out there, and you know what? I'm not going to actually give you any of my problems. Or is he more of a personal acquaintance? Jesus, here's my problems. I'm not going to give you too much of them. I'm not going to try to be too transparent with them. Or are we close? Are we intimate? Are we personal with Jesus? He's not a genie 
that we can pray in the right way and we can get three wishes and, and he will grant them for us. He is our personal Lord and Savior. When we put our faith in him, we are put in right relationship with God, which means we can go before God Almighty, the creator of the universe, and stand sinless before him because of the work of Jesus on the cross. That's not something that you just give him a call every now and then whenever you need him. He's not triple A, and you just call him when you have a flat. No, this is a, not even just a friend, this is a close, intimate relationship that we have, sharing everything, talking about everything, the good and the bad. And so let us not be like the crowds, just going to Jesus when we need something, and not actually ever having relationship with him outside of that. Let us get close. Let us bring it in. Let us be more Argentina than Romania. Do we treat other people the same? In our relationships with other people, do we only ask, do we only take from other people, or do we give? I would say if all you ever do is take from other people, don't do that, because you're using somebody else. You're mooching off of them. If all you ever give, I need you to know this, you're being used, and that's not a relationship as well. Don't be played. Don't be scammed. Don't be pawned. But a healthy relationship is give and it's take. Don't let pride get in the way of you receiving. Don't let pride say, all I can ever do is give, because that's a lie as well. But embrace relationship with other people. As pressure comes, relationships need to be give and they need to be take. Especially within the church, we need to put our arms around each other and move forward with each other. There's going to be times when you're down and out and you need somebody. You need them to provide a meal for you. You need them just to come over and watch the kids while you go out and cry in the backyard because there's just been crying in your house for four days straight. That's not a personal illustration, but I could relate to it. <laughs> then there's going to be times when you need to return that favor. And that's how we work. That's how we operate as the church. What these people do is they hinder Jesus. And when they hinder Jesus, they show up and they have demons in him. This is verses 11 through 12 here. And what these demons are doing is they are falling down before Jesus and they are shouting his true identity. Now for all the kids, I know this is full family worship in the house, Jesus is having a full Batman experience right here. He can't have people know his true identity just yet. They need to know that he is Jesus, that he is the son of man, and that has its own different mean, things that it means. Fully God, fully man. Certain people would have known what that meant, but not everybody is getting it. It's not time for him to fully reveal who he is, the son of God, the Messiah that they've waited for to come for all of these hundreds and thousands of years because the ministry that he already had that was insanely, insanely uh, impeded on, that people were stopping from happening, that was already being stopped. And so if he had his true identity revealed, it would have been even worse. Jesus wouldn't have been able to minister at all. So he had to put the cowl on. He had to remain Batman. He couldn't let anybody know that he was Bruce Wayne until the time came for him to, to reveal it. And he certainly couldn't let the Joker go out and tell everybody that he was Batman uh, in this illustration. He couldn't let the demons go out and tell everybody that, hey, this is Jesus, the Son of God, because that is bad press. Then people are relating Jesus being the Messiah to the demonic instead of the other side, which is the heavenly, angelic side, which God is over and Jesus rules and reigns over. He couldn't let people know his identity. I would say for us, 
we have got to stay the course. What these demons would have done and what they were seeking to do is alter Jesus' agenda of his ministry. And all that Jesus could ever do was God's will, God's way, and in God's time. And what these demons were trying to do is get in the way of that, to distract that. If these people know that Jesus is the Messiah and we tell them as demons, that's going to steer the course away from what God actually wants. And so for us, I would say we and the relational pressures that we undergo as we just live life alongside other people, we cannot let other people in their agendas and what they want for us and their telling other people things and doing things around us, we cannot let that distract from what God has actually put in our lives. That means we need to know God's will. We need to be clued in on what God is calling us to do in our lives. We need to know that we've been given a great commission that says, go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey. And we need to know that there's a way in which we are to go about that, which is called the great commandment, and that is to love God and to love people. This is our mission. This is what we do, and anything that takes away from that needs to be pushed to the wayside. We need to Romania that out of existence in our life, and we need to embody the mission that God gives us through his son. There's a second kind of person that we will encounter in ministry. And in a life of ministry and life on the move with God, pressure comes from our second point today, people that want to be with you. People that want to be with you. This is seemingly good. And I would say, ultimately, if we can keep it in check, it is. Mark three thirteen through 19. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him, and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, which is uh, sons of thunder, which just means that these guys were really loud and obnoxious everywhere that they went. I love that Jesus has a personality. He's giving people nicknames, just kind of poking fun at them everywhere they, they went. Hey, guys, can we keep it down? All right, cool. You're scaring the demons away right now. We need to cast them out. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot. And the last one picked every time in dodgeball, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. What we see here, verses 13 through 18, is that we need to choose whom we spend our time with. Jesus, again, he retreats. He goes up into the mountains even further away. He was at the sea. Now he is up in the mountains trying to get away from these people, which is a great point of application Jesus gives us here. This is a freebie, and that is that if you ever just need to get away from people, just take a hike. People are terrified of stairs. Some of them can't get up them, but most of them just don't want to. So just elevate yourself a little bit. Make it a little harder to get to you, and then the whole crowd, they'll just, okay, yeah, we'll go on. What does Jesus do when he's up on the mountain? He calls the disciples to himself. This is huge here. Before he ever calls the disciples to himself, we see in the gospel account of Luke, in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, that Jesus prays beforehand. We see that this is a big decision, big enough that he needs to know he is in perfect alignment, as he always is with the Father. God, out of all of these disciples, in which there were hundreds at this point, are these the 12 men who you have called me to call as my disciples, to spend the next three years with, that will shape and change the face of this planet for the gospel. 
I think we should also spend time praying over the relationships in our lives. He prays, and then he calls them. And these guys, these guys would spend the next three years of Jesus' life with him until he would go to the cross, and then even 40 days after he is resurrected. These guys, they will watch him. They will learn from him. These guys, they will do what he does. They will heal other people. They will cast out demons. They will lead the early church after his ascension. They will proclaim the gospel, and they will be the church, and they will display the kingdom all the way until their deaths which all of them but one, who is John, would die by torture, upside down on a cross, on a diagonal cross, in the most horrific imaginable ways possible for the sake of the gospel. What does Jesus do? He picks his 12. And in Jesus picking the 12, there's another thing taking place that we can miss, and that is that the Pharisees would have felt this as, boom, a slap to the face. What Jesus is saying in picking the number 12, 12 men, is that you are being replaced. What I am establishing here in these men is a new holy nation. Apart from the 12 tribes of Israel, what I am establishing here today is the church. We see that Jesus is picky in who he lets get close to him. We see this in the order of the disciples. And again, we're, there's so many things in the scripture today that we could miss. But if we really pour into it and we look at all the other gospel accounts around it, we pick up on it. And it is so crucial when it comes to our lives and especially the way that we, we relate to people. There are three groups within Jesus's 12. So, got a picture here. And boom. AV magic. Thank you, guys. We have Jesus. And then we have the group that is closest to him, and that is Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Two groups of two brothers. Now, what you will see throughout all the gospel accounts is that there are three groups, and these names are kind of interchangeable within these three groups, but the first name never changes. And the first name is the leader of that group, and technically the one that is closest to Jesus and responsible for that group. So we have Peter, the rock, Peter the Rock Johnson. He's Dwayne Johnson's great-great-grandpa. I don't know if you knew that. You can miss that if you don't read it in the Scripture. We have Peter, and we have Andrew, and we have James, and we have John, and Peter, James, and John, the closest three to Jesus. And then John would say, I'm the most beloved, but that was in the gospel that he wrote. We know Scripture is inerrant, so we can take his word for it. Closest to Jesus right here. So Jesus has layers in which he lets people in in his relationships. Next, we have the doing all right group. And that is Philip, Nathaniel, Matthew, and Thomas. I'd say they truly are doing all right. Matthew got his whole gospel book deal out of this. It's doing pretty well for him. And then we have the not even trying group. This is James. This is Thaddeus. This is Simon the Zealot. Being a zealot basically meant you were a, uh, a revolutionary religious freedom fighter. Um, these guys would kind of um, conceal a blade in a crowd full of uh, people in a busy place, and they'd look for a Roman soldier. They'd go stab him under his armor, conceal the blade, very Assassin's Creed-like for all of our gamers in the house, and they would walk on their way. And then we have picked last Judas. There are layers to the relationships that Jesus had in his life. And there need to be layers in the relationships that we instill, that we put in place in our life. Not every person that we pour into, because every relationship that we have is an investment of our time and influence. Not every relationship that we have is going to be taken and acted upon as we want. 
Jesus knew that. That's why he spent most of his time with Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Jesus knew, if I pour out into these guys the most, if they're the closest to me, if I spend the most time with them, if I invest in them the most, if I give them the most of my influence, the world is going to be changed. And Jesus wasn't necessarily worried about James, Thaddeus, Simon, and Judas. He knew that there was a place for them too. But if Jesus was just worried about what everybody thought of him, in his relational pressure, if he was pressured to be distracted and go off of the will of the Father, and he spent more times with James, Thaddeus, Simon, and Judas, would the cross have ever happened? Would Judas have ever betrayed? Surely we know that God is in control of time. He's in control of every decision. But we know that Jesus followed God's will. I think what we should do in our lives is we should go through the people that we are surrounding ourselves with. There is a quote that says, show me the five people that are, you are closest to and I'll show you your future. Show me the five people that you're closest to and that's the average of who you are. The people that we spend time with, the people we spend time around are a big deal. And I think we can just kind of spend time with whoever wants the most of our time and we can allow people that don't necessarily have the right or have earned the right to monopolize our time and that's not necessarily the most productive thing in our lives. We're called to invest in people. And as Christians, we're called to invest in people on an eternal scale. That means that we spend time with these people. We live life with these people. We encourage these people. We challenge these people to grow spiritually as they should be doing the same to us. Are the relationships in your life actually challenging you? Are you actually challenging other people? This is the process of discipleship. Jesus says, go, therefore, make disciples. This is a part of it. Jesus is making disciples. And there are some that are closer to him. There's some that are doing all right, and there's some that seemingly aren't even trying. I think there are probably people in our life that need to be rearranged into different groups in our lives. We need to put the people that are most receptive, that have the most growth opportunity. Maybe we don't even know who they are. We pray that out. Jesus, help me to put these relationships in the right way, the right order in my life for the sake of the gospel, for the displaying of the kingdom, for the being of the church so that the lost can be found. Next thing we see in this is that we should expect disappointment. We see that Judas is mentioned in every single list. Judas is always mentioned. You want to guess what place he is mentioned? Dead last. Every time. Good job. That's 50 points to Gryffindor there. <laughs> Judas, always last. Why? Because he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Now, I'm a curious person. I wanted to know how many, how many dollars I could get for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus betrays the Savior of humanity for anywhere from, 40, anywhere from $91 to $441. You can't even buy an Xbox with that, especially with inflation. I'm not sure how they were doing back then. Judas betrays Jesus for seemingly nothing. This sets us up. This says for us that even those that are closest to you within your life, that you should expect disappointment. And I'm going to tell you that if you're living a life like this, where you're letting people get close to you, even if they're on the outskirts of closeness to you and relationship to you, people will hurt you. It hurts because they're close. If somebody that's not close to you does something against you, you probably don't think twice about it. But it's the people that you let in. We can see that this is nearly promised 
to us. Expect disappointment. But how do we operate when we are disappointed? We push on, we move on in grace. We move on in forgiveness. We forgive, we pray for that person, and we proceed. Now, it doesn't mean we keep putting ourselves in the position to continue to be hurt by that person. But it doesn't mean we just shut down entirely. What do we see in the life of Jesus? We see that Jesus knew that Judas would betray. He says it to the guys. One of you is going to betray me tonight. But what do we see? Is that Jesus knew and Judas ate too. Jesus moves on in grace. He continues to embrace him even knowing that he is going to hurt him. We should do the same in our lives. We never know when that person is too far gone. And because we don't know that, we continue to put their lives in the hands of the Father through prayer. We continue to love. Sometimes we need to distance ourselves even further, but we don't shut down because you never know at what point in that person's life, when your life, when your prayer, when your words combine together and God uses that to bring them into relationship with him. Don't shut down. Operate in grace. One last person we look at today. In a life of ministry, in a life that is on the move with God, pressure comes from people that don't get you. And in this instance, that is Jesus' family, verses 20 and 21. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. It's one thing to be betrayed by friends. It's something completely, entirely different to be betrayed by family. This would have hurt Jesus. These are supposed to be the people that know Jesus best. What are they doing trying to deter me from God's will? What we see in an example of Jesus' life here is that people will try to control us and they will try to stop us. What we see in the scriptures that the crowds, they've regathered. These people, so socially unaware, they demand more from Jesus, more deliverances, more miracles. And then Jesus' family, in the midst of all this, thinks, okay, that is enough. Now, this is the first mention of Jesus' family throughout this entire gospel, and it's definitely not a good one. They try to seize him. That means they try to lay hold of Jesus, put hands on him, stop him. And this could be for two reasons. This could be out of the goodness of their hearts, trying to protect Jesus from the people that were coming against him, but this could also be out of a selfish heart and out of a, a position of wanting to protect the family name. Jesus, you've embarrassed us long enough. What are you doing? But we see regardless of the heart, it shows us two things. They don't fully understand who this man is. They don't understand who they're brother is, who their son is. They don't understand what he came to do. What I want us to know is that when God calls you as a believer into relationship with him, when God calls you as a lost person into relationship with him, and you become a believer, that you receive this mission from God, the Great Commission, go therefore, make disciples, baptize, teach to obey everything that the Lord has said. We do that out of the great commandment once again, to love God and to love people. That does not make any sense to somebody who is not within the family of God. And there is a reason for that. 
And that is that when we are made right before Jesus or before God by the work of Jesus on the cross, when we believe in Jesus to save us from the penalty of our sins, which is the wrath of God, which is eternal separation from God because we cannot be before God because we are sinful people and Jesus has not made us clean. When we accept Jesus to make us clean, to make us new, to receive his righteousness and put us before God as a new creation, there's something that happens. And that is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us. And at that moment, we then understand the will of God. We then understand the mission of God and how that mission is supposed to go out into the world. So we cannot look at other people in our families, in our friend groups, that don't understand, like, guys, why don't you understand? How could they understand? They haven't received the Holy Spirit. They haven't trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. And so we continue to move along with those people in grace. Just like the people that wanted something from Jesus. Just like the people that would betray Jesus. We continue to move forward. Living a life that honors, that glorifies Jesus. Living a life that is full of grace. Living a life that is full of forgiveness. And living a life that cares enough to pray for them. We've got to wake up and realize that we have family members that, if they were to die today, could die and go to hell because they don't know Jesus. When the whole time we were supposed to be that example to them, but instead we distance ourselves from them because all they ever say is, now you're holier than now. Well, you're just about that Jesus life. You're not who you used to be, and I get it's hard. In my life, I've had family that were all in on me being all about Jesus and his call and his mission on my life, but I've also had family who have opposed it, and that hurts. And it's hard. I understand. They know who you used to be. They know the sin that was in your life when you used to be that old, dead person. And they don't understand that the person that's standing in front of them now is alive and has been made new. You move on. You proceed as if you have been forgiven because you have been forgiven. That sin is in your past. It is behind you. Jesus has dealt with it. It is dead. It is gone. And you move forward to Jesus. But as you move forward, you move forward as an example that actually cares enough to pray for those people, to see them come into relationship with Jesus so that one day, one day they walk into relationship with Jesus and it's that aha, light bulb is on moment. I get it now. I understand why I didn't understand you for so long. I'm sorry. I get that you're different. I get that there's no way that I could have understood that. But I thank you that you never, ever, ever, ever gave up on me. Church, I don't care if we have to pray for somebody for five days, five hours, five minutes, five seconds, five years, or 50 years. We keep praying. We keep involving ourselves with that person in their lives. We keep living by example. And when we love and when we serve, we have to open our mouths. We have to eventually share the gospel. Let's do that. Let's live in relationship with other people. Let's pressure-proof our life this morning. Let's be the church. Let's display the kingdom. Let's do it like this. Six steps on a three-point sermon. <laughs> That's not nine points, all right, Jacob? Know who you are and why you're here. Take time to get away. Control your schedule. Don't let other people take control of it. Surround yourself with people you can invest in. Don't waste your time. Expect disappointment. Don't let it stop you. Realize that people may not get you, 
Keep going. Keep loving. Keep forgiving. Keep sharing. And focus on obeying God and pleasing him. Put your faith in him. He'll take care of you. He'll take care of them. Let's pray.